Welcome back, listeners, to the Bodybuilding Down Under podcast. It's been a while since we've done a little catch up with these lads, so I want to go over, see what they've been up to. I know Lawrence starts prep very soon. I saw he cracked out the treadmill. What's the go there? Oh, mate, to be fair, it's just more me getting my act together because I sort of wanted to maintain a bit of a step count in the off season, like try to hit 8K just for, you know, general health purposes and I'm not an overly active person outside of the gym. So I thought it'd be good to try and maintain it. But, you know, the busier the weeks get, I'm just like, don't have time to go for a walk. So the last few weeks, I've been just trying to establish like what the prep routine is going to be as far as steps go. So I'm just trying to ease my way into it so that it's not a complete shock to the system when it's all systems go in a few weeks. Do you have any idea of what you're going to start at? Like calorie wise? Like step-wise, you're going to go straight to like 10K? I reckon we'll go straight to 10K, but I don't think there's any risk of overtraining there. <laughs> well, I've been overtraining for two years and I think that's why I've lost muscle. Um, <laughs> you know, I think I, I can't see us needing to go higher than 10K. We didn't need to last time. I tend to have quite a bit of flexibility through food that we can pull. So I'd be surprised if we did need to go. Like last time we did the same thing just went straight to 10k kept it there for the whole prep um i'm not really sure what my calories would be i'd imagine because i'm not at all-time food at the moment so i imagine we'll probably only make a a modest decrease for the first couple weeks and then probably keep in some refeeds and that sort of thing i don't know if we're like planning on getting in like a diet break or something um we only did one week at the diet break in my last prep and I think in general, I'm I'm someone who can stay in a deficit for quite a long while, and and just the odd refeed here will here and there will keep me at an okay point because, like, my food doesn't get super low overall. So I don't know, mate. I, I try not to think too much about nutrition. I just get my marching orders, to be honest. Got to go first weekend straight to two thousand cows, twelve k steps, and like you know you'll be shredded at ten weeks out. Yeah, what do they always say? Just do the hard work at the start. So just plunge myself into a pit of fatigue and diet fatigue and then claw my way out for the rest of the prep. I think you mean like cry your way for the next 20 weeks because well, yours would be like 32 week total or something. <laughs> yeah. Well, 23 <laughs> weeks from show one. So yeah, it'll probably be 30 plus all in all. So it might be the longest that I've done. Yeah. Very nice. What about you, Jack? What have you been up to? Not much on my end. Um, I have some more sort of concrete information about uh, just me and myself and AJ mapping out the game plan for just kind of the next year because it'll be roughly mid-April when I start prep for season B of 24 so pretty much just gaining for the rest of this month um, probably make my way up to 95 um, and then do a mini cut I reckon we'll probably aim to get down to roughly like 89 to 90 and uh, that option should only take like three to four weeks, I reckon, um, considering AJ's style of going quite aggressive, which um, I'm all for, given how high my food is right now. And then pretty much gaining until the end of the year and doing another little tidy up slash pre-prep phase and then pretty much maintaining that um, slash a slight surplus until prep begins. And I think AJ wants me to uh, to start prep roughly like 90, 92-ish kilos, which is higher than I've ever started it before. But he's predicting stage weight will be roughly or the lowest I'll get in prep might be roughly the same, like roughly 77 kilos. So fairly decent amount of, of weight to lose in the prep, which yeah, he's given his, 
I mean, decent weight for me, not compared to um, other people. But yeah, he's given me his rationale behind that. Did you buy it? Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. <laughs> You'll be sitting there at five weeks out. What have I done? I knew I should have only lost 10 kilos the entirety of the prep. Yeah, well, I think he's, we know I lose weight quite well. Like I've never really struggled yeah. to, and he doesn't want to, we know how lean my lower body gets. It gets lean quite quickly. So basically he doesn't want me to kind of risk uh, losing lower body tissue by the lower body getting lean like stage lean at eight to 10 weeks out. We all, we all know after, after six weeks of a mini cut on uh, AJ's macros, you'll have lines in the glutes. So I don't think you'll have issues there. What probably got now. Yeah. He probably, he's probably got him in the off season. I guess for, for you, like you, AJ probably knows that that um, dietary adherence is probably not an issue. Right. So mm. I think sometimes when it comes to planning out a timeline as a coach, not that you plan that every athlete is going to have sort of a, a whoopsie moment, right? But it is nice to, I guess, have additional weeks up your sleeve in terms of, you know, that Condus prep timeline. But in your case, you know, you may not need those extra weeks because everything is just mapped out so meticulously and he knows that you're going to adhere to it based on the kind of athlete you've been in the off season, right? So yeah, yeah that makes sense. Uh, with me, uh, <laughs> I wish I had some exciting things to talk about, but um Mate, just chipping away at this point in time, absolutely loving training at um, at Powerhouse. It's an absolutely superb gym. And uh, I'm thinking of running a just very small dieting phase or sort of a, between a sort of two to four week period, um, just because I'm, I'm at that point where it's very hard to push in more food. I'm not incredibly physically active. So my hunger is, is just not very high and um, almost coining it as somewhat of a sort of a resensitization phase where you know, if I do a very short dieting stint, lose sort of two kilos or so, I think that that will really stimulate for me to assist in perhaps pushing more food in, you know, thereafter. So rather than me kind of just like spinning my wheels and, and <laughs> gagging at the thought of eating more food, maybe, maybe it's best to do something like that. So, you know, one step back for two steps forward sort of thing. So just something that I'm thinking about implementing for myself soon. But um, yeah, at this point in time, training's progressing very nicely. Uh, I've implemented the the barbell bench press back into rotation for my pressing movement, my primary pressing movement. So I'm excited to make some progressions on that. Kind of took it out for a little bit. Uh, I'm not a I, I'm not a huge fan of the I, I do like the Watson dumbbells, but they're just very different to what I've been used to. So I've noticed that I feel very unstable when I press with them. It's just a matter of using them for a bit longer. But I started to implement them sort of halfway through my last block. So I think having moved through the sort of the three weeks of training, I'm like, all right, I'm kind of ready to rotate through a barbell press again. But um, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at needing to resensitization phase and just kind of keep pushing it with respect to training at the moment. Have you still been running the incline barbell bench? Did you replace that with the flat? I was running that when I was uh, back at uh, Brendale uh, when, when uh, you were running that as well, Jack. Mm. So I've taken all that out for, for a little bit. Yeah. 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 That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I could took... never get my groove at Brendale. I just didn't like the the setup they had with the incline barbell. Yeah, right. Because you were doing it in the actual rack, weren't you? Yeah. You weren't, yeah. You weren't doing it off the, the actual like incline mm. bench per se. But um... He couldn't get the groove. He came in and then he saw DC repping 140 <laughs> on the incline. He just messaged AJ that day. He's like, get it the fuck out of the program. 
<laughs> updates the Google sheet. AJ sitting there. I swear I didn't have that in there. Yeah, yeah. I swear we had an incline bench as that exercise for A1 of you know, upper two. What the heck? He yeah, looks at it. He's got Smith incline machine. hammer. <laughs> yeah, incline Smith. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, they, yeah. Do you know any idea when you're going to compete again, DC? Yeah, so I'm thinking season B of 25. That's kind of what, what I originally proposed uh, pretty much as I finished up my last season. So I've been praying, you know, say, staying pretty true to that timeline at this point. Uh, I think pushing that back any further starts to really make the question as to, okay, am I still a bodybuilder now or am I just, a, you know, an off-season off season A athlete? hobby builder. So, yeah, hobby builder, exactly. So yeah, 25 season B is kind of on the cards right now and I'm still sort of umming and ahhing as to where I position that, that season um, and also where I potentially compete as well. So I have every intention of competing here in Australia, but I would like to sort of take my competitions elsewhere as well and maybe maybe consider competing over in Europe or, or maybe over in um, America. I'm sort of, you know, tossing up between those two as to where I go. So plenty of time to, to decide. <laughs> I know you're normally quite mapped out with your clients. Like you try and maximize, I guess, as many weeks as possible in between your next show. Do you actually have that? Like, do you do that for yourself? I do. Like, yes. I do. Yes. Yes. I can't tell you off the top of my head how many weeks out I am at this point in time, uh, because I know that basically by a certain point of the calendar year, you know, that's where I would need to start like pre-preparatory phase. And, and um, I know the sort of upper limit, upper intervention point of where I should push my body weight and where I probably shouldn't. So as long as I'm holding within this range, like I'm in I'm, I'm where I need to be uh, and the, the planning for the actual pre-preparatory phase, et cetera, I mean, that's, that's plenty of time away. So I've got more, Man, than, you got more than enough time. You got exactly. literally a year and a half before you'll be on stage. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. It's uh, funny because I guess me and you both wrapped up, uh, both wrapped up our show seasons at the same time. And now pretty much like every time you're about to mini cut is like somewhat where I'm about to mini cut as well. Yeah. So I guess I caught up with Joe this week and he had one look at me and he's like, quit pushing the off season boundary. So as soon as he suggested, he, he asked one question. He's like, so when are you thinking about mini cutting next? I knew, I, I knew straight away. I was at that bandwidth of uh, the off season weight. So I was like, all right. Um, so I'll probably be doing a mini cut, probably similar to what DC is doing and probably anywhere from two to four weeks. I'll probably catch up with Joe again bi-weekly and uh, go from there. But training has been feeling good. I realistically haven't had any issues with my injuries anymore. So I guess one hour of stretching every single session, Lawrence uh, sees me doing at powerhouse has definitely paid off. Um, and yeah, it's been feeling good. I don't really have any issues at all. Like when I train anymore, so that, that's amazing. But sometimes I get a little like niggle and it might linger around sometimes in the morning when I first wake up or like later on at night, but in terms of it affecting training sessions, everything's been feeling really good there. Mm. You uh, sure um, it's the stretching. It's not the, uh, the thousand milligrams of NSAIDs that you're popping whilst you're, uh, whilst you're <laughs> into that stretch or <laughs> no comment. That's probably why I made no gains though as well. <laughs> They're just blunting the response that I'm chewing, trying to get. Chewing away any muscular hypertrophy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All this protein's going to waste. Um, but then also I finished up my, um, I was doing like a course for a while, like the IOPN sports and exercise nutrition. So I finished that up. So it feels like I've got so much spare time now. It's like after you've been studying, I guess, for an extra like 10 to 15 hours each week and doing like assignments and readings. It's like, once you finally finish the course, I know Lawrence, you're probably <laughs> the most recent, like, you know, once you finish your course, you're like, what the hell do I do with all this spare time? So now it's like, so now I just spend four hours in the gym instead of three hours um, just to make up for it. Just chatting shit with Lawrence. But 
Yeah. yeah. Well, I was thinking if we've got time, maybe we do a few rounds of the boxing ring next <laughs> next week. Mate, I saw they're putting it up for sale. Oh, yeah, I bought it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that's what I mean. It'll be at my house. I didn't mean there. Saw that one John Jones fight on the weekend. He said, that's it. I'm buying a boxing ring. I'm getting it in my house. Yeah, Walk yeah. in the bedroom. It's just, <laughs> Gemma's going to look at you. What the heck is this? Yeah, bed's out the window. Yeah, I always, um like my when I was little, I was like obsessed with WWE. And I always thought like, imagine having like a bed that wouldn't be like a ring and your mattress was sitting in between the ropes. That was always like my dream. Yeah. Yeah. Did you guys follow WWE? No, sorry. Uh, no. Saw a couple of fights, but I wasn't like an avid like watcher. Like you know, you'd see some people that have the uh, Fox tell and they're watching it every day. No, it wasn't me. Yeah, I was well into it. We actually went to a live one as well. They came to South Africa when I was like seven or eight. Where'd you see John Cena? Mate, that was my guy. <laughs> my guy. I think that was every kid's guy that ever watched Dude, that. My hero. Yeah, nice, no, nice. Still is. Any of you boys uh, end up tuning into the Arnold, seeing who won? Obviously, it was, uh, I guess, not an upset, but like, you know, seeing Nick get knocked out by um, Samson was quite interesting, especially considering like the Olympia placings. Mm, Samson did look very impressive, though. I, I thought I thought he was a bit of a standout there. I thought he, he was great. He, he, looked, he looked unreal, especially for how big he is, for like his height and like so filled out. It's extremely impressive to see. Mm, absolutely, was- yeah. He was the best middle ground of Nick and Andrew Jack. Like mm-hmm. Andrew Jack probably still has like the slightly smaller joints and slightly smaller waist, but I think Samson was like a really nice in between, and it's good. Like I think the open class is starting to get back to some physiques that are a little bit more streamlined and a little bit more aesthetic. Um, so man, yeah, Samson looked absolutely incredible, and yeah, he was like, I think Fuad said he was like two hundred ninety-seven pounds on stage, which is just that's crazy. It's My crazy mind. when you when you look at like our weights and then what you have someone at like what 115 kilos on stage. It's like it's not even fathomable. Um, yeah, one other one sure. was Sean Clarita, finally I guess stepping up into like the not well stepping out of the two twelves, placing fifth I believe just after Big Ramy. Well, he's done yeah, it right. before, didn't he, he? Didn't he win? Yeah, he did a smaller years. show where he beat Regan. Yeah, I think yeah. he did the, it was like the Kong or something. It was like some King Kong trophy. It was like a gorilla trophy. Yeah, he ended up winning. <laughs> I know, I know. What sh- I think it was like a, I think it was called like the Kong Super Show or something. I, ca- I can't remember. And it like had like kind of more or less everyone. But this is like the first time he's actually like the, where the competition's been at a really high level. Like mm. Samson, mm. Big Ramy, like Nick in there as well. So it was interesting to see how he actually shapes up because when you look at it, like he'd be, He'd be probably 120 um, pounds under Samson, which is I think, like yeah, I think he said it was 181 pounds on stage. Yeah, which is like 110 pounds less than like Samson. I could like Big Ramy. I remember when they were doing the comparisons, like next to Big Ramy, and you just yeah. got like Sean next to probably arguably the biggest guy to step on the stage, which is absolutely crazy. Mm, absolutely, and then Dino took out the uh, the classic physique. Which I guess is kind of no surprise, right? Because um, obviously he came second at the um, the Olympia. The Olympia. Yeah. yeah, I think was it Urs second? Uh, yeah, Urs yeah, second. yeah. Urs second, Urs, yeah. I saw him in the hospital for food poisoning. I think five days before, though. Yeah, yeah. pretty pretty crazy, hey. I mean, yeah. What are you implying stuff. there, Lawrence? Hey, 
Food poisoning? Oh, I did nothing. I saw Jack did the inverted commoners with his hands, but yeah. I didn't <laughs> I mean, it doesn't, it's not a great look, is it? As, like, yeah. as soon as I read that, I was like, oh, yeah, bit of food poisoning, lad. What are the chances? That's the thing. But like anytime someone's enhanced, I guess, and the next thing you know, they're in the hospital. It's like, well, like, you know, guy might have stubbed his toe, like, you know, need some stitches. But what's the first thing that comes to mind? Another enhanced bodybuilder uh, in the hospital. <laughs> I think, um, um, was it Aaron took the men's physique as well? Aaron, uh, Banks, Aaron Banks. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Diogo uh, Montegro, I think his name was, came came second or something. He looks incredible, Aaron, in in the the men's physique. He's kind of like the, the epitome of what I think men's physique should look like on that stage. Yeah, he, his waist is so tiny, like for how big he is, and then his shoulders are so wide. He's mm. really got some nice shape for men's men's physique. Absolutely, yeah, hundred percent. And he's kind of come out of nowhere. Like, you know, he's only been up there for like, you know, two years. Like first Olympia debut was like last year, ended up coming second and then ended up taking his Olympia this year. And then multiple Arnold's like, he's actually like really filled out over like only a couple of years, which is crazy to see. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. Dan, Dan, did you watch the, um like the women's bikini as well? Like Laura Lee came, came first. Which did is, I watch um... it? No, nah, <laughs> No, nah, yeah, no, yeah, no, well, I mean, got... Laura Lee. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it wasn't but, um, glutes, daddy, it was me, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but no, nah. she she did look incredible on stage, and and um, I think Laura Lee sort of just, I guess, maybe slightly missed the mark in terms of her you know optimal stage showing. And but um, I was watching some recap with um, with Team Atlas with with Nicole, and we were just watching that recap. and he was saying like when Laura Lee comes in hundred percent, you know, she'll sort of wipe, wipe the show clean. So yeah, she looked incredible. Massive glute, hey, like almost slightly, just slightly disproportionate. Like I think if she downsized and maybe just a touch, it would be slightly more symmetrical, but yeah, she looked fantastic. And then Maureen second and uh, Jennifer Dory third, which is a shame because I, I, I think Jen has a phenomenal physique. Um, some of her posing was just a little bit off, I think. Is that the one with the curly hair? Stack- Curly yeah. hair, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. She's got a really good physique. That's a stacked lineup. One thing was, that you, yeah. one thing that you mentioned about Team Atlas is uh Issa is now under Team Atlas, which is yes. you know, it's crazy because I, I think James probably is one of the best like bikini. Like when you look at the results, you can kind of see it. So I'm really interested to see how she goes under James because James has produced like so much talent in terms of the Olympia stage in terms of mm. bikini competitors. Mm. So. Yeah, absolutely. I think Issa has some incredible genetics. She's obviously been an incredible athlete previously as well. So she's got a good, good future ahead of her. That's for sure. All right. Let's jump into the uh, Q and a first question, Lawrence, you're on the chopping block thoughts on getting massages slash body work done during prep. Are you going to get anything done? Oh, for a while, I tried to get into a little bit of a routine where I'd get a massage on a deload week. And yeah, maybe like the only thing that stopped me is that the guy I was going to stop doing it. So I potentially could look to find someone else. And I think it's one of those things where like, if it's within your capabilities financially, and if it's something that you find benefit from, then absolutely, it's not going to do any harm. I sometimes cringe when... Like I remember, um, I like Cuba Celine or Cuba Chellen from the UK. I really like Cuba. So this is no, not taking any shots at him. Um, but like in one of his videos, he had some massage dude at his house and he was going on about, 
you know, realigning the fibers prior to him getting on stage and stuff like that, which is just absolute garbage. Like the only way you can realign fibers is if you've got a scalpel in your hand. Like there's nothing that's going to be breaking down muscle tissue or mm. or doing anything structurally there. It's literally so. if you detach the uh the insertion, right? <laughs> and then yeah. basically insert it somewhere else on that bone. That's really where you're only realigning fibers per se. You're exactly right. And I think it's one of those things where it's like, you got to remember like massage is not doing anything structurally. Like it, it's the massage is, is more acting on the nervous system because we're working into the sensitivity of tissues. It's not actually doing anything structurally to the muscle. So if it's within your wheelhouse, if you find that you get a benefit from it, maybe you want to do it like once a deload. I know some people like to do it a little bit closer coming towards show day. Like, you know, if they're feeling particularly sore or tight in some areas, they might get a massage because it assists with their posing, for example. I know that seems to be quite popular these days. Uh, but once again, like you got to think about all these things like a pyramid. You know, we've got like the like training and nutrition pyramids from Eric Helms and recovery is no different. So like the biggest, you know, no brainers are still going to be sleep and, you know, proper programming and adequate nutrition and all that good stuff. Um, and then, you know, the foam rolling, the massaging, the cupping, the needling, all that stuff comes a little bit higher. Well, if you need a massage guy, you can come around to mine, Lawrence. I'll slap out the table. I'll, I'll give mm. you a massage, especially yeah, deeper in the ends of, in the prep. That'd be perfect, mate. It just makes sure you got enough oil. <laughs> You're a big boy, eh? <laughs> Massive. What podcast <laughs> did I sign up to be a part of? <laughs> this is what You're happened. Up. Mid forties, we start to get into some uh, murkier waters. <laughs> Mid forty episodes. What about you, DC? Did you get any done? Like massage work? Yeah, in prep. No, I don't think so. No, I mean, I did spend more time, you know, a little bit of stretching and, and foam rolling work. Uh, probably more so foam rolling, if anything. But yeah, I think buying into what you mentioned, Lawrence, just sort of desensitizing some of this area and just helping to kind of loosen up a little bit. That was kind of the main the main premise. Uh, some acute 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 foam rolling prior to sessions, just as a means of sort of opening up range of motion a little bit prior to getting into some movements, but. That was kind of it, really. I mean, volume management, uh, nutritional timing, you know, those were probably the, and, and sleep quality, they were probably the real things that I, I needed to, to focus on as a means of preserving recoverability. But, you know, that being said, towards the tail end of prep, recoverability is pretty much in the trash, right? Like, realistically speaking, if you're absolutely shredded to the bone, you're not going to be wa- a walking, um, you know, pinnacle of recovery by any means, right? And I'm sure no you're going to massage is going to save you. That's it, you yeah, know, exactly. like it, if anything, it just won't provide that little bit of alleviation, if anything, but it's certainly not going to be the night and day between feeling fantastic and feeling horrible. <laughs> Unless you come to me. <laughs> exactly. I've got the Lawrence's physio slash massage therapy is apparently game changing. Everyone needs it in their prep. Remedial massage therapists hate him. What's the one weird trick that you haven't tried yet? I've got it. It's like scarcity, an oiled up massage, massage gun. Yeah, the key is a liter of oil <laughs> per body part. So when I did my last prep, I did massages, I think bi-weekly. There was, um, there was a massage therapist where Joey worked. So I would pretty much just go see her every alternating week. I would go see her like once every two weeks. And I don't know, I stayed injury free. All my lifts were maintained, but that being said, I also maximized every other aspect of a prep that you could do. Like, you know, my sleep was perfect. My nutrition was perfect. My 
training I would say would be perfect as well. So like, I guess it was like that final 1%. Like, I don't really know how much it would have helped if I didn't have it. But like I said, I stayed Maybe everything was perfect because of the massage though. Now that you say it, Jack, like, you know, (laughs) if I didn't have that massage, I would have fallen to pieces. Uh, Without you, Jack, did you get any done? Uh, I got one massage, like the, I think one day out and yeah, I mean, I've, I've never really put too much credence in massages myself. Um, Didn't you they, win the overall though, post-massage? Uh, that's true. I did see some fibers slightly realigned, <laughs> especially like through the glutes, like mm. like hamstrings, like the tie was a little bit sharper. Yeah. Well, you got to be really careful if you're like one day out getting a massage. I mean, one false stroke of the hand and they're sending all those striations going the other way. <laughs> so just make sure that when you leave your massage, hit your poses and make sure they haven't pushed any fibers in the wrong direction. Mm. Um, that's be mm. embarrassing on stage. Mm, exactly right. Like I remember seeing some pictures of you, Jack, you know, one day out and basically those those pec fibers were being aligned sort of pretty much they were vertical, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm vertical. pretty sure they came in, they massaged that tissue and all of a sudden it was just horizontal projected, you know, muscle fibers. So it's got to be, you know, the, the, the bee's knees, right? I had to get Tierra afterwards to kind of realign some fibers. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah, but I'm pretty sure those Thai massage places aren't the place to go as well, Jack. So maybe have a look at like a sports massage therapist next time. <laughs> How do you know it was Thai? I could just see the way the fibers were aligned. I knew straight away. <laughs> yeah, they did They did try and do some manipulations, which I wasn't a fan of, where they like, kind of do some demonic, um, like almost like, yeah, de- demonic possessions, which I'm not a big fan of. All those back cracking, not for me. Yeah. Let me crack your neck. Walking on his back, realigning his spine. All right, next one before we go too deep into that one. <laughs> have you ever any uh have you ever had any bad experiences post-show mentally? DC, you're up on the chopping block. Chopping block. All right. Yes. Ever fall into I mean, a batch of cookies, six pack, and the next thing you know is a 24. I like that people and coaches and athletes are probably speaking a little bit more about this in terms of the the post-show experiences that, that all competitors will go through, right? I think even if you are, I mean, if we compare the conditioning of a men's bodybuilder to a swimsuit athlete, like I, irrespectively, like I think everybody is going to go through vast, vast um, psychological changes through the process of going through an intensive six month you know, process of dieting, getting very lean. And then all of a sudden that show ends immediately. And now you have to shift your mindset back into, you know, day-to-day integration. No longer has your identity, is your identity centered on being that athlete in prep? All of a sudden you are post-show. Like it's, and it's the, I guess it's the emotion of having the high, you know, associated with being on stage to suddenly the the low associated with, you know, being post-show and, having to manage uh, your psychological relationship with food and social life as well and, and all those sorts of things. So yeah, certainly I'm not going to paint the picture like I had a very swimming, you know, post post show experience. Um, you know, I'd catch myself in that, in that purge moment where I'd be consuming stuff and I'm like, do I really need this? And I'd go through this mental battle of like, walking with a box of cereal out into the, the rubbish bin and chucking it in the rubbish bin and slamming the rubbish bin shut. Cause I'm like, if I don't, if this is in the house, I'm eating it. So like I, yeah, certainly I had, I had periods and days there where, where I would binge and, um, but I was, I was pretty good at recognizing what was happening rather than just going absolutely out of control. And 
I was good at sort of nipping, nipping it at the core. So like I knew if there was stuff in the house, I'd eat it. And as a result of that, I, I just tried to shop per day. And that was really the, the main thing that, that helped me a lot. Like I'd go to the shops and I'd say, okay, I do feel like eating, let's say chocolate or whatever. So I'm going to get one bar or one this and, uh, and that's me for, the, for today. Like I'm not going to let myself go back to the shops again and get something else. So it's just, and, and yeah, I mean, that, and that, that occurred for, for many months, like for, for at least two, two months post-show, I was still trying to find my middle ground in terms of relationship with food. And I felt like it was almost a moment where you wake up one day and that food focus is not there and you're like, shit, okay, this is actually what it's like to be normal again. You know, like you see your sleep starting to resume back to normal. Um, so yeah, certainly I did have a struggle moment post-show. But in all honesty, like find me an athlete that didn't. And if they don't, I, I tell you what, they are absolutely lying through their teeth because if they were lean enough, then you're going to have some rebound with respect to you know physical physiological adaptation or else like Darwinism would come into effect and you would just die because <laughs> your body's telling you to eat food, right? Like that's a survival thing. Like you need that. It's it's a good thing. Yeah, 100%. I think anyone that has ever done a show and has gotten in relatively good nick, like everyone does struggle post-show, especially the first time. Like I remember the first time I think I went, um, my family had like a holiday over in Bali. So like trying to then go to eating normally after you've just been like in such like a restricted state is so hard. And then when you get back and like, you've obviously put on weight and the first thing you want to do is you're like, well, I want my six pack back. So mentally you're like trying to like restrict yourself, but then it's like trying to find that balance again after you've just had nothing for so long is I think, like I said, I think every single competitor is going to have that that struggle post show, mm. and also I mean, just like the magnitude of it as well, right? So, yeah. like me saying, every competitor is going to experience that post show rebound and that sort of post show struggle. Like that's on a spectrum, you know. It's not like one extreme is just binging for months and months, and everybody does that. Like some people will struggle for a few days, some people will struggle for a few months, some people will struggle for a week, some people will re regain that control within you know, a month or so. So it's, it's very, very different that post-show recovery. And I think everybody struggles, but you definitely, it's something that you, you flex that skill. Like you, as you do more and more shows and you get more control of your nutrition post-show and you've had, you've, you've experienced what it's like to be out of control. I think you're able to learn from that from season to season. So like the first time I, I comp prepped versus the most recent time, I felt like I handled it well and truly better because I knew what to expect the first time I didn't. So it was just, it was a very hard navigating through that. Plus it was COVID at the same time and everything was locked down. So kind of stuck next to the fridge, right? Versus uh, versus now. So yeah. Sorry, what were you saying, Jack? Like I, I cut you off, man. Well, I was just saying that uh, some people, before they even start prep, they don't have good control or good routine and then they expect to have it after prep. And again, that relates back to the pre-prep phase and ensuring that when you do start prep, you have good routine. So that at least when you finish prep, you know kind of what you should aim for again. Um, again, people getting into prep for the wrong reasons, expecting to recover fully routine-wise afterwards is is tough. And for me, like it's it's a little bit less about the food, definitely more so about the the prep mindset for me. It's very hard for me to escape that prep mindset once I'm in it. So it's 
I kind of have to d- turn that dial down afterwards. Like there's just no, even I'm pretty rigid now, as you guys probably know, compared to the average person, but in prep, it's probably like double what I'm, what I am now. So it's, um, it's important for me to get out of that once prep finishes. Mm, like I found myself still striving for like 12K steps, 10K steps from, from like weeks and weeks post-show. Mm. And it was just the habit of hitting that step count, right? And I felt like for me personally, the, the premise of, of keeping my steps somewhat elevated perhaps f- gave me the illusion like I was in more control of, of my, my body and perhaps would limit my excessive rate of gain with regards to, to weight, you know, weight accrual. So, you know, I guess that's, that's a struggle too, because realistically I didn't need to do 12 K steps. Like it wasn't, I was doing it for the reason of, of preventing myself from gaining too much fat mass, which I mean, you could say that's a good thing, but it comes from a place of like insecurity and it comes from a place of like fear of gaining weight. So that's certainly a mental struggle that I think a lot of competitors will go through as well. They'll keep their steps exceptionally, exceptionally high. And they may even, you know, promote further restriction with food post binging as a means of trying to create that control again you know mm-hmm. which realistically that control comes into play through an increase in body fat therefore an increase in energy availability and less food focus and just time spent there as well so you can slowly acclimate back to what it's like to live live life as a normal person again what about you lawrence do you struggle at all i know because your first show you would have been about 17 i couldn't Ooh. imagine the amount of food focus i would have had at 17 <laughs> Especially like the social yeah. life mixed in with it, all those house parties you were going to. Oh, mate, constant. Yeah, no, I probably actually was going to more parties back then than I do now. Um, didn't you I go remember. to Thailand or something afterwards? Yeah, yeah. So I like finished prep and then probably had like maybe a month or so, and then we went to Thailand. And I was actually like really diligent post show, and then went to Thailand, and it was just on for young and old, and I gained like a decent chunk of weight. Like I remember the first photos back just looking so inflamed and like so soft. And I was like, bro, that's what happens when you eat, you know, two servings of pad Thai for breakfast for a week. Um, but it was actually interesting. Like I, I don't know, sort of thought to myself that the post-show period would just keep getting easier and easier, but I actually struggled a lot more than I thought I would in 2020. And there was like even a day where like I knew I'd probably overconsumed and, I was like doing my session at the gym and I thought to myself like, gosh, should I just knock out like 20 minutes on the stairs here? And I was like, sort of pulled myself back and I was like, that's not a good way to be thinking. Like that's a really, really slippery slope. And I had to catch myself and just go, you know what, Lawrence, like this is a part of it. You just have to accept that you slipped up here. Try be a bit better tomorrow, but you're human at the end of the day. And what you really don't want to get into is that sort of, compensatory calorie burning which I'm, I'm sure like jack would be able to speak more to but it's like that's that's where i think people can get into a lot of trouble um so fortunately i was able to catch myself and go no that's silly just it is what it is no need to to make this situation any worse but yeah like the even though it was my third prep my third reverse diet recovery diet whatever you want to call it um certainly wasn't miles easier i think on the whole like i had less slip up days i think the slip up days were still probably to a similar if we want to use the word severity as they were in previous preps i think there were less of them overall um but yeah it was there were some days that were really tough for sure all right we'll move on to the next one uh this one's a little bit of an interesting one because it it is what is the scientific reason why three sets is the most optimal amount of sets 
Jack. That being said, I don't think any single one of us probably do three sets religiously. Yeah, well, I was going to say first up, like who who is saying that three sets is yeah. scientifically the most optimal? I mean, well, I've got to I've got to rewrite that? my entire program now because yeah. yeah, I've been doing two sets for a majority of my lifts. I'm going backwards. I feel like it's a common common trend, though, right? I mean, you've probably come across multiple programs, seen other people's programming online, whatever it may be. And a lot of the time, like three is a common number, right? It is realistically three or four is a common number that you'll see uh, appear. So yeah, it's interesting that that- um, I think for the most part, three is better than four. But I, and I think my, the way I usually program is I often do use three as more of a default number in the beginning because it's not excessively high. It's not that low. And giving someone two sets who don't train very hard, like it's just a waste really. Like they're better off doing a bit more volume. And yeah, yeah, so I think to explain more about this question in general, I would just say that quality of training is incredibly important, like quality of execution, but also quality in the way in which you're executing the intensity of your set. So that's why, as we've discussed in the past, like sometimes less is is more when it comes to set, whether that be two or three sets instead of four or five. Mm-hmm. I think the question there is like, are you at a level of strength or a level of quality in your execution where you're no longer getting anything more out of that third set? Because that I think is the only reason why you would take that set away. Like for example, my back training and some of my like machine presses, I don't feel like I have done enough until I do the third set. Whereas for most of my leg training, I'll do two sets and go, yep, sweet, I'm done. So don't just do a top set and a back off because you see your favorite bodybuilders do it. I think most people probably should be starting with three sets for most of their exercises. Just like I think most people should be starting with straight sets of the same rep range rather than going straight into like a top and back set approach. I think you always opt for what is simple first nail it get really good at it and then as you start to advance you can you know start to make it a bit fancier i definitely notice that i guess trend with myself is like most of the time probably the the number that does pop up the most for the sets is probably that three but that being said like as they get way more efficient with it they start moving a lot more load they end up working their way down to two sets jack you are even at a point where you're doing one set of rdls because you got Mm. extremely efficient at them and you know you're doing such large amounts of load yeah yeah for mm, sure absolutely i think for someone maybe who's new to training they might benefit from slightly higher volumes just because perhaps the the relative intensity that they're they're learning like training hard is a skill right you learn you learn how to train hard over time and for someone who perhaps selects a weight that is well and truly lower in terms of intensity than perhaps what what may need to uh, be progressed to in order to make greater progress uh, it might be you might need to have volumes higher as, as a result of that but i would also say their their adaptive potential is probably greater as well so they might get you know good good gains from something like two or two or three sets but um, i've always sort of lent a little bit more towards like slightly higher volumes i'm not saying ridiculously high like higher volumes than what i do right now in terms of like let's say two chest two sets for you know a chest movement like realistically if i have a client that i know is learning how to perform a movement and they're not really using a very heavy load like two sets is realistically not that much for that person who might under select the weight for the first set maybe they strike 
the inadequate load for the second set and then they're already moving on to the next set so it's just like you know perhaps it is better to program slightly higher volumes depending on you know who your athlete is what, how you know they train etc and something you it's kind of like a ballpark that you you then for therefore adapt as you collect more information about them right so i feel like if your athlete you're, you're running three sets on a pressing movement with an athlete and they're constantly reporting to you that their pec tendon is just giving them issues it's like okay that's that's kind of an orange flag you know it's a bit of a red flag we've been hitting our head against a brick wall for a few weeks now like things something something needs to done be done from a programming perspective either we need to get better at movement execution or perhaps we need to lower your volumes so that you can manage recovery better one question that we got is from uh can't remember who it was but uh we uh have one question on um which would you pick icn or wmbf if they're on the same day i would uh i, th- I would have to go icn because there's no way i'm doing w wmbf especially as uh men's physique i think for myself being men's fitness as well it, it would have to be uh it would have to be ICN. Now, I think if you're a bodybuilder, I think it's a no-brainer. I think anyone would be gunning for that WMBF Pro card. I think. No, I'd pick ICN. You would? Yeah, yeah I think because... I would pick ICN as well. I mean, I, I'm I'm somewhat like I've obviously competed with them before. You uh, still want to lose my, your Pro card. It would, it would be my first pro, pro debut with them as well. So that's probably priority number one in terms of competition. As much as the WMBF would be immense, uh, it would suck if it was on the same day. That's for sure. What but happens if it was Worlds? What happens if it was ICN Worlds and WMBF Worlds? I'd pick um, probably WMBF because I would have done ICN Nationals. Yeah, I'm probably I'm probably similar then. Yeah. Is that's... that cheating though, DY? Well, Nationals, like, you know, doesn't rack up to Worlds, like, you know. Yeah, well, I mean, Nationals, you, is the, you can still earn the pro card at Nationals, so. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I guess, but 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 if you were to do both of them, you'd technically be pros in either federation. If you were to do in the WMBF world, you'd technically, I guess, already be a pro if you were going to compete in the pro lineup. So if you already had a pro card for each, which one would you want to run? I'd do WMBF then. Yeah, yeah, I, I guess I would be the same, just because uh, I That's unfortunately not my circumstance right now. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly right. <laughs> exactly right. Um, I think like, for example, Lawrence, like you, you, you and I have had our sights on WNBF worlds for a long time. Right. So I think if, if I had to pick between the two, you know, I'd probably pick WNBF, but uh, fondly enough, I don't think that'll ever be an issue. So hopefully fingers crossed, toes crossed, eyes crossed, everything crossed. (laughs) Well, I do know that uh, WNBF and INBA is on the same day this year for season B. Which I don't know how they've managed to do that. So okay, I think I could both be wrong. pro qualifiers too, aren't they? Yes, they would be. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. WMBF is on a Friday, so it might just be the same weekend. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's rogue. Like, I need to figure out. You're telling I'm me that be... both shows are on a Friday? <laughs> that is no, weird. I need a fact fact check here. Don't. Uh, WMBF don't is on a Friday for sure. Yeah, um, yeah, it is. On, I'm pretty sure it is on a Friday. I, know, I don't know if it's that clash. It might actually be um, ICN Nationals and and IMBA. Might not be WMBF. Yeah, I definitely know that ICN Nationals and WMBF are not the same weekend. Because if that was yeah. going to be the choice, I was going to do WMBF. I sort of decided that either way because I want to get to Worlds. But yeah, that's weird about the Friday because I, I ideally wanted to take off work the day before all my shows. So like for all the Saturday shows, I've taken off the the Friday, 
So I may need to take off the Thursday as well. Because you guys know how it is the day before. You're running around like a, a headless chicken for the most of the day. And it's just, I don't want to be doing that and work. Mm, I think it's probably a nice thing to take a few days off before. I mean, if you can if you can do that. If you've got back-to-back shows, it's obviously very difficult. But mm. yeah, I think it's nice to have a couple of days to to really just settle into your peak week. And it kind of just, you ramp up that motivation because you're like, oh, I finished up work on a Wednesday. I've got a couple of days of just kind of resting and recouping maybe a couple of pump up sessions in there and and then I'm ready to roll. Like last thing you want to do is sort of work right up until having to jump on stage. But hey, for some people that's that's what's required and you can still do immensely well as well. So yeah, I'm going to go all in. I mean, I'm going to resign mid-year so I can just focus, <laughs> knuckle down. Yeah. yeah. I think it's like that de-stressing too, not having to worry about going to work, just chilling out for like two, three days prior. Mm. Really uh, help going into the show. Lawrence didn't answer the question. What would you pick, Lawrence? WMBF oh, or ICN? WMBF. It's not even a question. Yeah. Ooh, so I, sure I, 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 t- I turned it around. I, you know, I had three ICN votes against me at the start of that. And then next thing you know, <laughs> um, what are some of the <laughs> negative hormonal adaptations that occurred during the back end of prep, DC? Jack, I feel like you can attest for this, right? <laughs> I'm pretty we sure you can. had some. So yeah, we all can, right? You had, you had your test levels like tested, but mm. oh man, I mean, we could spend a whole podcast on just talking about this because there's some massive uh, changes to to your physiology, you know, as a result of metabolic adaptation. So reductions in in you know sex hormones like testosterone and estrogen, and you got changes to to thyroid hormone as obviously as your metabolic rate slows down. Um, changes to, to to ghrelin, you know, responsible for for hunger and satiation, uh, as well as leptin because of just a massive reduction in in total fat mass within your body. Uh, super high elevated of cortisol, um, you know, just everything is basically gearing you for putting that fat mass back on. Like the the premise of a reduction in in reproductive hormones is is to preserve energy. Like you think of it from the the perspective of a woman, a woman and, and her menstrual cycle. Well, I mean, the menstrual cycle, the, 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 the idea of bearing a child is very energetic demanding, right? So that's not really a, a, a physiological process that is inviting when the body is in a massive state of, um, of low energy availability. So, you know, really everything is gearing you for putting that, that weight back on basically uh, and trying to not be a bodybuilder. Yeah, 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 exactly. Right. So, it's interesting, right? Because your whole body is fighting you for for losing that fat mass, and you've got such a huge biological urge to consume. But like, if you need to get leaner, you have to fight that. You literally have to fight your physiology to get to, you know, stage conditioning, which is why it's just so a hard, such a hard thing to do, right? To achieve that sort of top tier one percent conditioning on stage. The human body doesn't want to get down to that. What like Ronnie Coleman said, negative three percent body fat. It, it, it just ain't gonna happen so i did see this original question and they said during peak week and i yeah I, maybe I, I was wondering if that was like a miss mistype or maybe well, they I, actually thought I, that. I, I, ch- I changed it a bit because I, I thought like you know back end of prep would have been somewhat more like yeah. you know similar to the peak week and i feel like if anything you'd probably have a little bit better um hormonal adaptations i guess in a peak week because you're more or less going to be like de-stressed and uh well yeah. fed. i mean so i think the i did alter that, that one so peak week would be cortisol but like everything else would be the same really yeah mm, yeah pretty much i mean i don't you're, you're definitely not getting like a huge restoration to testosterone just because you've 
you know, pushed your glucose up a little bit. Like <laughs> your energy availability is still exceptionally low. And um, like in the grand scheme of things, even if you just temporarily increase it, uh, because it's really, it's the low levels of body fat that is holding those, uh, those metabolic metabolic adaptations, like the strength of that is, is not going to resume back to normal until you literally put that fat mass back on. Damn, Jack scored me out tampering with questions. I'm sorry, guys. I'm sorry. We wrote them all anyway, so who really yeah. cares? They're all my questions anyway. <laughs> That's another reason why you got to keep training legs all out of prep. Keep those test levels up, baby. And keep fasting for the growth hormone. Yeah, hundred percent. Or just take exogenous growth hormone that works as well. Within that range, I think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. My gut this year is going to be big, <laughs> enormous. <laughs> um, what parts of prep do you miss, Lawrence? You're going into prep soon. Are you excited to get back into like that routine? You looking forward to being hungry for once? Yeah, I am. Like I was saying to you guys off off air that like I'm not exceptionally full at the moment i'm just bored like it's just like we've been holding for so long and i'm just ready to to get on with it so i do like the routine part of prep like i feel like i'm in a pretty good routine already like my weeks are are fairly similar but i do find that you get that extra bit of you know edge when you are dieting where you're just that little bit more productive so i'm looking forward to that and you know it's it's cool like you're seeing your body change every week and like, although you feel pretty ordinary by the end, like it's, it's pretty cool when you hit your poses and you look at your check-in photos and you're like, wow, like look what we've been able to create. So I was, I was pretty pleased with some, some of the photos I took with Joey the other day. And I think we've, we've put a lot of mass in the right areas. So I'm, I'm just hoping we hang on to as much of that as possible when we're a bit leaner. That's what like the best things about prep is like you get photos six weeks apart and you're like, you can visually see so much change. And then in the off season, you like sit there, you take a photo six weeks after and you're like, well, I just look fatter and maybe I've got a little bit more upper pec mass. Like maybe it's like, like it's oh, so I'm slowing. a little bit fatter. I'm a little bit softer. I've got a little bit more of a, you know, roundish face. Uh, I've lost <laughs> yeah. that jawline. Uh, yeah. Six weeks of hair. Cool. <laughs> I've been ticking the boxes. So I think I've made gains where it's like in prep, you're sitting there. It's like, you know, 10 weeks in, it's like, you're so routine. Everything's just flowing effortlessly. Like, you know, you're like seven kilos down. You start seeing all these new lines. Like it's definitely motivating, a lot more motivating than the off season. I feel like the first 10 weeks of prep as well. Like you don't have that like hunger, like you don't need to be force feeding yourself. The first 10 to like 15 weeks are quite cruisy. And then it's a nightmare. (laughs) (laughs) And then you hit that wall and then downhill from there. Yeah, I agree though. I think if you've set yourself up well, that first 10 to 15 should be fairly cruisy. But yeah, I was just even, I got a message earlier from a friend like inviting me to his wedding and it's like a few weeks before WMBF Worlds. So I was like, man, I'm going to be an absolute carcass of a human there just like getting swallowed up by a suit, looking like a kid, just gaunt. That's Yeah, I might try and avoid some photos that night if I can. I remember I had a wedding, like, I think it was like six weeks out from show. I just rolled up with this huge Tupperware container. It was just like three meals in one. And they're just like looking at me like this gaunt guy in the corner, just sitting there, this huge like salad bag from Woolworths with just like chicken all cut up in there. There's like, man, this guy's crazy. (laughs) Just didn't eat anything. It was just like tap water and like the diet Cokes. I always get like OCD. I'm like, what happens if this guy's not checking that he's pressing the Coke, no sugar, and he's just pumping it full of Coke. And then I'm just going to wake up. Next thing you know, Joe's going to be like, you fat piece of crap. 
you've, you've been cheating on your diet. <laughs> the next day you feel like immense. Like you feel amazing. You feel amazing. You look in the mirror, you're all vascular. Like everything's, everything's full. You're like, hang on. <laughs> what happened here? I'm like peak depletion and I'm feeling fantastic. Was that Coke actually no sugar or what? <laughs> Placebo effect. I just tell myself it's the full sugar. So there's yeah, no yeah, way yeah. I get the, uh, the fullness the next day. <laughs> Did you miss, it, miss anything from prep Jack? You got a long way to go, my man. Yeah. You're prepping next. You're going to be full for a long time. <laughs> I think mainly just the, uh, the positive feedback from it, like both internally and externally, like internal, as you said, feedback from your physique changing so much and seeing the improvements that you've made, but also just externally, like taking people on that journey. And everyone knows that the, the socials are uh, more um, in depth when people go through prep, like, so through this podcast and, I'm definitely expecting the view, the listens on BDU to kind of double when when Lawrence goes his through his prep. That's my expectation. Quadruple, quadruple, very nice. Yeah, you heard it here. So you heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. Jack bodybuilds for the likes, essentially. Sure. <laughs> well, as, as per Brandon's episode, if you're bodybuilding for fame and likes, then you're doing something wrong. Especially natural bodybuilding, I'll <laughs> tell you that. Yeah. Or for the money, that is. I remember when Brandon actually won his. Um, the natural show i think he went up like three thousand followers like pretty much over like a week or something it was crazy i was like watching i was like holy god this followings because like you don't normally get that like in natural bodybuilding where you actually see followers go up a ridiculous amount and um his was one of them i think when i when i ended up getting my card i think i got like two three hundred so oh. i guess guess bk is well more <laughs> way more well known than me and probably got double the arm size though so <laughs> <laughs> um i actually really like this next question what are some of the bodybuilding related studies you'd like to see carried out jack you have any in mind yeah i was thinking about this one the thing with a lot of bodybuilding studies is that especially the training related ones they're often it's just very hard to keep consistent across different people especially like the degrees of intensity that people train at and of course the genetic proclivity for each person as well so I was thinking maybe more so something in relation to comp prep where they maybe try some different prep modalities, which are a bit more, a bit different compared to what someone might usually do. Like I know there was that recent one with, which was more of like a case study around the weighted vest, but just some similar ideas around different avenues that people could prep, like maybe super frequent refeeds or starting prep like 7% above stage weight, as opposed to like 10 to 15% above stage weight, just different tactics that uh, I think prep is still the area in which we have the least amount of information compared to like training or other nutrition modalities. Well, it's very hard with, I guess, prep as well, because you need like, like not very many people are also going to give up their prep. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, let's say if you have to do like a muscle biopsy or something, not many people in prep are going to be like, Hey, yeah, let this guy take a bit of my quad to, you know, maybe do some tests on because then you're probably going to have some muscle soreness carrying over. And then like, you know, if you're in prep and it's 28 weeks, the last thing you want to be doing is uh, making it any harder that on yourself, especially like in those last couple of weeks. Hmm. And then I guess trying to find individuals that would be, you know, willing to suck up a 28 week prep um, just for a study is also extremely hard. Yeah. DC, do you have any studies that you thought of? Yeah, so I mean, I'm 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 of, I'm of a similar notion to you to you, Jack. Like, I do think we have limited studies surrounding 
comp prep in specific. Most most of the studies, you know, specific to training and nutrition are within a generalized population. So, um, and and not really specific to someone who is getting like exceptionally exceptionally lean. Like I'm, I wonder if a lot of the the evidence based recommendations would change a little bit based on assessing athletes in the last you know month of their comp prep, which most most athletes are not going to be open to doing muscle biopsies and all these like crazy crazy things towards the very end of a contest prep time frame um but i do wonder if if some of the evidence based recommendations we have in place are not specific enough to people like towards that real tail end of prep um i also like that there's more evidence coming out around sort of the post show and and recommendations with regards to managing the post show side of things just like what we've talked about uh, recently in terms of you know the psychological aspects of dealing with post comp and and all that sort of stuff i think it would be nicer to have some evidence-based recommendations in place with regards to you know a sequenced approach in terms of reintegration back into into the norm uh i don't think anyone has uh like no one's ever you know died or things like that through refeeding syndrome or anything as severe as that but I certainly think having more in-depth recommendations post-show would would allow for coaches to have uh, a more informed idea of how to support someone through a post-show uh, transition. That would probably be uh, an area that would be very interesting. And also, I know that there's some case studies being done. I won't say any more about this, but um, in the pipeline around um, understanding sort of the uh, evidence-based recommendations in regards to our contest prep timeline in itself and just seeing broadly what competitors employ and what what coaches and athletes employ for their comp preps and is there actual key differences with regards to what advanced-based bodybuilders do within the space versus what amateurs do in the space as well um, with regards to protocol timeline like all that sort of stuff that would be more of a, a case study based based approach but that would be really interesting to see if there are key differences between you know amateur competitors and people that have been in the game for years and years right so I think there's some really cool places that that study and literature can go. Um, and hopefully we'll see more of that as bodybuilding in particular, natural bodybuilding does become more and more prevalent and, uh, and, and gets more funding, I guess. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. You Lawrence, you got any, any studies? Yeah. I think it'd be interesting to look at some of the, like the, like training choices as far as like the machines that have the varying resistance profiles, like, you know, comparing people who are able to use that um, several times a week compared to people who are doing the exact same program, but just with a conventional machine and like a, a conventional loading pattern. Um, obviously, I don't think you could have Prime fund the study. That may be a conflict of interest, but I think it'd be interested to see if there was actually beneficial hypertrophy outcomes training with that sort of equipment versus just using whatever you have um, at your local gym. Um, so that would be interesting, I think. And then, well, yes, I'll be hoping to get approval for my my paper titled um, Implementation of a Calorie Deficit and Resistance Training for 23 Weeks on a 23-Year-Old Male, a retrospective case study. <laughs> um, the, yeah, the, the outcomes will probably be quite limited um, in terms of just, their application. I'm pretty sure it's just N, N equals one, right? Is that N equals one, yeah. It'll be can't. <laughs> Cantlin will be the co-author on that one. <laughs> okay, um, gotcha. So you can expect that in the Journal of Bodybuilding Down Under at the end of the year. So that will be good. Gak will be funding nice. it as well with the Tesla money as well, wouldn't he? 
Yeah, Jack will be the editor for sure. And all the, the money, um, all the money saved on fuel will just uh, yeah, yeah. DC can do all the statistical stuff. We know he loves his numbers. Okay, yeah, I'm down for that. I can do that. DY can market it. I'd, I'd prefer he wasn't involved, but uh, <laughs> oh, <laughs> university degrees only, mate. I'm sorry. That's still failure, and then Ooh. Lawrence rocks up with a pendulum, and I'm sitting there. <laughs> That was the dagger in the wound. Just it was, like, yeah. Um, Adverse yeah. events, yes. All right, perfect. Well, I think we're going to wrap that up here, listeners. I would like to thank you all for tuning in once again. If you haven't already, head over to your platform platform of choice and leave a five-star review. Other than that, have an epic week and we'll catch you next week. Bye.